1: That's one 613 1612 Or send an email to info at org. Now back to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. Be the star you are. Are you singing the song? Are you being the star you are?
2: Hello. Power Partners, welcome to radio's finest hour of power, Star Style, Be The Star You Are. I am Cynthia Bryan. I'm always so happy to be your personal, not your personal, your personal growth success coach, here on the airwaves, bringing you the authors and professionals that help you enjoy a more fulfilled life. This is a show worth your time and energy with lots of heart, help for living your dreams, champagne for the spirit, brought to you by Be The Star You Are charity and produced by Star Style Productions. It's a bestseller stellar day today we're going to start off with new york times best author julia quinn with another dazzling historical romance That showcases her trademark wit. It is called What Happens in London, and you're going to have a lot of fun with that one. Following her is Jane Lowry Christian, who is returning with Book 5 in the Quackless Duck series, The Adventures of Quackless, Who Prays for a New Voice, Goes to Heaven, and Gets One. The journey continues. And then we're going to wind up our hour with best-selling author James Rowland as he explores the human condition, overpopulation, the diminishing food supply, and genetically Altered Crops and his latest tour de force, it's a real thriller, the Doomsday Key. So, lots of fun today. My purpose in providing you this show is to communicate to you that you already possess everything you need to be the writer, producer, star, and of course, director of your own life. We want you to smile, have fun, and be willing to be wild and wacky. Our motto is to be a leader, you must be a reader. So, sit back. Read, lead, succeed. The Miracle Moment for today is brought to you by Be The Star You Are Charity. If you'd like to become a corporate par- partner for our upcoming Books and Bands Bash, contact us, 877-944-STAR, or uh, the website, org. And it's by Teddy Roosevelt. Whenever you're asked if you can do a job, tell them, suddenly I can, and get busy and find out how to do it. That's my man, Teddy Roosevelt. you got to be a can-do person. Well, what do you do if you are in your senior year at Harvard and actually you have no idea what you're going to do with the rest of your life? Are you going to become a doctor, a lawyer, or a chief of some kind? Well, Julia Quinn figured she'd make a pretty good doctor, but while she was waiting to apply to med school, she wrote a couple of books. Then she went to med school, carved up a few cadavers, wasn't so excited about it, dropped out, wrote a few more books. The rest is history. Numerous bestsellers, including her newest historical romance, What Happens in London. Welcome, Julia, to Star Style. Be the star you are. Thank you. It is so fun to have you on. You know, I don't read a whole lot of, uh, of romance novels and all of this, but yours was so much fun. I just, I read it in one... Reading and I couldn't put it down. Well, that, that is the goal. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, you know, it was, it was fun. That's what I like. I needed some fun and you definitely have a wonderful sense of humor. But what I liked the most, Julia, is mm-hmm. your characters. You really have, you developed them so well, you kind of dig back into history to find out what the Moors were at the time and, and what it was like in Regency, England, etc. But how do you find your characters do they just come to you i mean i know that some of these were in past books but how do you decide if somebody's going to be like your prince is going to be russian or you know somebody else is going to be big and burly how do you decide these things
0: oh gosh i wish i knew i'd probably get my work done a lot faster <laughs>
2: Does it just come, i mean is it just like it just comes to you in a dream or you just sit down and you kind of write you know,
0: I think actually my writing process has changed a bit over the years and and it used to be I sort of sat down and write, wrote, excuse me, and um just figured it would come along. And now I I do a lot more of what I call pre-writing, which is when I'm really formulating the book in my head. And and it used to be I thought that was all about coming up with the plot. And now it's really more about coming up with the characters. What I found is that for me to create a story that is, you know, multifaceted and three-dimensional, and and I want it to be funny, but I still want there to be undercurrents of emotion, because it is a romance at heart. I, I need to know all about the characters, and so I need to come up with their history. I need to understand what has happened to them before the book opens. That makes them who they are. It's not enough to say, "Well, you know, she's stubborn." Okay, well, you maybe you're born stubborn. I want to know, you know, what experiences what? Yeah, did you have in your childhood to make you well, that you way? You
2: know, when I was reading it, it was like I, I loved, the, I loved, I was rooting for Harry, you know, the whole time, and I loved Olivia the way she thought he was just so strange because he wore uh, a funny hat with a feather indoors, and he was mm-hmm. sitting at his desk, and I, you know, I was kind of comparing it to my own life. I thought, oh my gosh, if anybody looked in my window, they would be appalled. You you know from what what your public image is and your private your private image but I, I, when I was thinking about your characters, I thought it's probably very much like an actor when an actor gets into making a movie and how they go back and they create a whole history for mm-hmm. that character to really give them the depth and uh, and to really know everything about them and how they move because your characters move. I it was like watching a movie in my head when I was reading this. Does that make sense? It does, and it's a wonderful compliment actually because it,
0: it just thank you.
2: No, I, that's how I felt. I mean, I was like, I really, I could sever- see every character. I could actually, you know, I come from the entertainment background, so I could really see how this would be a movie and what everybody would be doing and how the windows would look. You know, how I could see her standing there in her nightdress and peeking through and him pretending not to see her. And But it just, it felt like you've done a lot of homework of really being there and getting into that moment and getting into each of the characters. Is it a little more challenging to get into characters that are perhaps, you know, foreign-born, like, you know, your, your, Russian, your Russian royalty? Was that a
0: little tougher? unless You, you don't speak Russian, do you? I do not. Yeah. I, I okay. had to find lots of people who did to help me out with that, as a matter of fact. But, but, but with him, I never actually... As the writer, I never got into his point of view. So you never saw him from the inside, only from the outside. Yes, and we never kind of knew what really was going to make him tick. No, no. And and I've toyed with the idea of thinking, oh, what if he came back to be a hero? Which would be tough, because he wasn't always the nicest guy in this book. He kind of went back and forth. But with, with the main two characters, the hero and the heroine of any romance, those are the two characters I really explore. I, I write roughly half the book from each of their points of view, and... That's where I really, yeah, I need to get into them and I need to I need to know who they are and what their history is. And I found that if I'm writing and I, I'm struggling and for some reason things aren't pulling together, I've learned it's usually because I don't know them as well as I need to. Do you ever
2: change characters midway where you start uh, writing a character and then you go, you know what, I'm not
0: liking this character so much? No, usually by the time I'm that far along, I've I figured... Out roughly what they need to be. I, I, I have changed characters like the way you described, but more in the pre-writing phase when I'm writing the outline and sort of doing the character studies. By the time I'm actually writing the book, hopefully that's not going to happen. If it does happen, I'm in really big trouble. <laughs> Now,
2: tell me something, because I found it so intriguing, your, your little, your pre-story, your history, the fact Mm -hmm. that you were at Harvard, and along with the rest of your friends, you didn't quite know what to do, and, you know, you were gonna, you were just kind of on a whim gonna be a doctor, and started writing. I mean, you were obviously meant to be a writer. You'd always loved reading, Mm -hmm. and so, you know, it was like, I can do this. But you really went out and did it, and it just, you are, you just don't stop. I mean, it's like these ideas must be just bubbling up. You're kind of like a, a volcano that doesn't stop erupting. You've got
0: more more books and more books, and they're all sellers. Well, I don't know about that. I, I have a lot of friends who write a lot faster than I do, and I'm constantly amazed by them. But for me, it was just... People ask all the time, well, why did you want to become a writer? And the answer is always the same, and you, you nailed it right there, which was I like to read. And I don't know any other writer who, who, for whom that is not at least part of the story as, as to why they, they did that. And to be honest, I can't recall what exactly led me to sit in front of my computer and start. But once I did start, it was just it was really fun, and it was it's so fun, different. isn't it? It takes on a life of its own, right? It it does, and it was so different from any type of writing I had done before, you know, writing papers in college, and I had been a travel writer in uh, on Crete and Cyprus during college, and, and, and just, but this was different, and um, I just kind of kept doing it. But while I was writing it, I always was writing with the intention to sell it. I've talked to people who said, you know, I I wrote a book just to see if I could do it. I I never thought I'd try to get it published. And for me, I always wanted to get it published. And, And to this day, an integral part of the writing experience for me is having my words read by other people.
2: I think that's a, you know, I, I agree with you. I think that it's wonderful to write for yourself, but then you can just go ahead and write a journal or a blog. But the, if you know to really get the sense of being a writer, I think that you want other people to read it, so it has to be of some value to them and give them some entertainment, which is what you're doing. Now, is there a lot of research that you do? Like this one is set in London. Mm-hmm. So you you have to actually, I am sure, find out, like, what is, what are the clothes of the day, you know, how do people speak, what are the moors, I mean, like, I always love that word ton, the Mm -hmm. T-O-N, it's so far from anything we know of today, I mean, we don't parade around, we don't have our seasons,
0: you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, I, all my books are written within a a, you know, I don't know, 15-year time period or something so you, like that. So once you've done it, you kind of, you know that area. Right. Well, I have, a, so I have a very broad knowledge of the period. So, I you know, things I don't need to look up every time. For example, I, I know how the British arist- uh, aristocratic titles work. I know how you address a duke versus an earl and things like that. So those I, I have. And I, I know the social habits and customs. But as I go along, I find I have to look things up specific things to the book that may just crop up. And and my favorite example of that is a book several years ago I was writing um, called It's It's In His Kiss. I came up with a very funny joke where somebody refers to Little Bo Peep. And then all of a sudden I realized, oh, I better make sure that phrase, you know, that that character was was in use then. So I had looked it up and I actually found that Shakespeare mentioned Little Bo Peep in one of his books, so I figured I was safe. But it, that's the sort of thing I have to look Oh, that's up interesting. On. That's mm-hmm. interesting. Well, and what about when you
2: bring characters back from books? Because, uh, you know, how many books have you written now? Like about
0: 15? Uh, what Happened in London is my 19th full length novel. 19. Oh, my gosh. See, I'm off by four. I can't even believe it. <laughs> that's pretty close. <laughs> and you're probably already on to your next one, right? I'm trying. I, I should be farther into it than I am. I'm. I'm, I'm one of these people who's always coming up against deadlines. Yes, but, you know, that's a writer's life, isn't
2: it? I, I quit calling them deadlines because I really feel like I'm going to die, so I call them lifelines. <laughs> you know, uh, and I, so I go, okay, just give me a timeline and I'll, I'll hit it because I need
0: lifelines, not deadlines. Oh, that's funny. I was actually someone's lifeline on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, may I say that? Oh, you were? Oh, I, was, nice. I was. I was so a phone-a-friend a, a few years ago.
2: Did they call you? <laughs>
0: Yeah, they did. It was oh, very exciting. My heart was beating so fast. Oh, I bet. Did you have the right answer? I did. <gasps> I was I the designated, designated Googler. Another claim to fame. That's wonderful. Yeah, I was the designated Googler, so I would I practiced how fast I could Google things. Yeah. yes. So I, I think that's probably the secret to that, is that you've got to have somebody sitting by the
2: computer immediately and get it done. Oh, yeah. go. Think... that's pretty fun. Oh, yeah, I'm kind of a game show junkie. So. Yeah. <laughs> now, in this book, we're talking to Julia Quinn. She is a New York Times best-selling author. This book is What Happens in London, and her website is juliaquinn.com. She's so fun, and she's funny, and you can see that she loves writing. But did you have a favorite character in here? I mean, I thought Olivia and Harry from the get-go were were meant for each other, and I would love to see this as well as, you know, in a movie or a TV Piece. I think it would be fun,
0: but w- were any of them your favorites? You know, what, what's interesting is that the, the characters who've become my favorites over the years are not necessarily people who were the heroes or the heroines, but a supporting character. So I have a character named Lady Danbury who has appeared in several books. Yeah, she's, she's been in a few of yours, hasn't she? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she is, and she's just hysterical. I mean, I, I, I want to be here when I grow up. <laughs> she, just, she says whatever she thinks, and she just doesn't she feel She just has, you know, it's like and... what's in her heart's on her tongue. Exactly. So I just I, I she's been lots of fun and then uh Violet Bridgerton who's the mother of eight heroes and heroines that I've I've written. I wrote a series where, you know, there're eight brothers and sisters and she just ended up becoming such an interesting and wonderful character throughout the books. So she's a favorite as well. So that is that is really good though that I, you know
2: you don't always have to have the star of the show be your favorite. Some of the other ones are actually
0: probably a lot more fun to have. So mm-hmm. what's the title, or can you share that of your new one? You know, I for We don't know yet. I'm not sure yet. To be honest mm-hmm. with you, it's still kind of up in the air. But it will be about um, Sebastian, who is a supporting character in What Happens in London. Oh, good. Oh, good. So we're going to continue that. I wonder, though, if you might bring back our
2: Russian guy, because he was rather an interesting character. I expected him to be so evil, I wanted to boo and hiss, but, you know, you you gave him some uh, redeeming qualities
0: in there. You know, I think, you know, most people, most bad guys are not 100% bad. Um, People are, they're different. They're, They're interesting, and they... Life isn't as black and white as I think. He was right, to want and to make he it
2: wasn't. It seemed like he was, but he certainly wasn't. He was most—he was definitely a very, very well-defined. I thought, you know, bad guy, but with some good things. It was like, hmm, I wanted to know him better. Mm-hmm. Well, let's send people to your website so they can see all this great stuff you're doing, and they can follow you. The name of this book is What Happens in London. Our author is Julia Quinn. You can tell how bubbly and upbeat and fun she is, and I just love that she just writes and writes and writes. And her website is com. Do you just want to wrap it up for us, Julia?
0: Give us a little final piece of what happens in London. Oh, my gosh. I don't know. Um... Well, I guess I could tell you what's been so far the reader favorite is that the uh, the main character Olivia makes lists in her head, which is why she sometimes looks as if she hasn't been paying attention. And so far, the the list that readers seem to like the best is how I would like to kill my brother, version sixteen. Right, <laughs> that was a very funny thing that you did throughout the book. Is as as she as things are
2: happening, she's making up these things. Yeah, well, that was with really many funny. I liked also, you know, when she said like places I would rather be and when she says France with Miranda with Miranda in France. I mean, it, you know, chocolate. And she just kind of goes on and on. A cup of chocolate or a newspaper chocolate. <laughs> anyway, it's a delightful talking with you, Julia. Best of success too. for your next book. This book, What Happens in London, Julia Quinn, juliaquinn.com. Thanks for being on Star Style. Be the star you are. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure, Julia. Well, when we come back from break, Jane Lowry Christian returns with the fifth book in the Quackless Deck series. I'm Cynthia Bryan. This is Be The Star You Are, back in a bit with a Quack Quack.
1: The World Talk Radio Variety Channel.
0: Did you know that teens with low self-esteem who feel they don't fit in are more vulnerable to peer pressure, more likely to have depressive reactions, eating disorders, higher rates of alcohol and drug abuse, criminal involvement, suicide attempts, and be involved with risky behavior. You can help make a difference by sponsoring this radio program, Be The Star You Are. Be The Star You Are promotes positive role models, positive media, and donates positive books to increase literacy. Call 877-944-STAR, S-T-A-R. For more information, or visit our website at bethestarur.org. Also, you can make a PayPal donation at www.bethestarur.org. Thank you for helping
2: our youth succeed.
1: Cynthia Bryan is your guide on the side. www.cynthiabryan.com You can be the star you are. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Where the world comes to talk. That's one 613 1612 or send an email to info at bethestarur.org. Now back to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, with the Oprah of the Airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. Be the star you are.
2: Well, what a wonderful day when we get to interact with you! Thanks for tuning in to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, where we bring you the exciting authors. Today we have our wonderful children's author and illustrator Jane Lowry Christian back with us to share book number five, as we promised you, in the Quackless Duck series. And Quackless Duck prays for a new voice and walks to heaven to find one. Welcome back, Jane. Well, thank you, Cynthia. I'm glad to be here. I'm so excited. You know, isn't it fun to come back on a regular basis and give us the updates on what's happening to our favorite duck, Quackless?
3: Yes, you know, I'm not nervous anymore at
2: all. Isn't it great? I mean, all of a sudden you start feeling like, hey, this is just the normal thing. Well, last time we spoke, Quackless had acquired a voice by his dream angel, but unfortunately it was the wrong voice for a duck. So why don't you just bring us a little bit up to speed, and then we're going to go into today's book that we're talking about, which is Quackless Duck Prays for a New Voice and Walks to Heaven to Find One. We have quite a few new characters in this,
3: in this book uh yes uh quackless uh meets uh the love of his life and uh it saves his life because he could talk like uh, a kitty cat which this mother cat was going to eat him and uh till he found till she found out that he what he had a voice like hers so she prayed up to him and took him home with her this is in book number four and uh so that, that runs out because her Mr. Tomcat boyfriend comes home and chases Quack, off, Quackless off. And so, uh, he has to, uh, uh, find a new life. And, uh, he does that by, uh, floating down the river and, and, uh, meeting, uh, Owl. Al. Which and, is how, uh, that's
2: how we start off the
3: book in Quackless, prays
2: for a new voice and walks to heaven to find one, which is number five in your series.
3: Yes, and uh he meets a little green frog and he meets Mrs. Skuck, Skuck and her four little ones and uh they uh he has a dream that night too and his angel tells him that uh she will give him a new voice uh but he has to do this certain thing and that is to walk to heaven to find one and to help people along the way enemies as well as friends and um that's what uh, happens, but uh, all of his friends follow him, and uh, so he uh, has quite a time getting to heaven. <laughs> well, and he goes to animal heaven. Yes. <laughs> which is a wonderful thing, and,
2: and he's warned that on the way he's going to meet friends and enemies, but he has to give them advice or help or whatever they need.
3: Yes, yes, and he's provided uh, grubs along the way, and fresh water, and his angel looks after him, and uh, she she makes him aware of her at one point.
2: And the whole time he's
3: meowing. What? <laughs> That's his voice. <laughs> well, you know what? Though she gave him this voice before he went, but he still had to accomplish this feat of walking to animal heaven, and he couldn't think he did could because he had two shorter legs, and his wings he didn't think would help much, so he He was very uh, uh kinda afraid to that he'd think he could do this, but he he did it and uh, they got to heaven and and guess who they found up there guess who they
2: found?
3: <laughs> they found uh, mr tomcat and he had uh, been down below uh, paying for his uh, uh oh, ways however however he'd been doing. And, uh, he asked Quackless forgiveness, and, uh, Quackless, of course, did after a little bit. And, uh, but Quackless and, uh, the, Mr. Tomcat, they kind of roamed around heaven looking for people to help and, and to see if anyone wanted to go back to Earth with them, which they didn't find anyone. And, uh, they found the, Mr. Rooster. He was up there also, and he was the king of the barnyard when he when Crackless was at the barnyard, but he had uh, clawed the family's poodle, and uh, so he he was he that was a big mistake. That 40. was a
2: big. He he <laughs> said that was a large mistake. So now he had a misses and little ones to look after, didn't yeah, he? Yes,
3: he was very happy in heaven, and uh, when Crackless got ready to leave to go back down, why. He couldn't find Mr. Tomcat and Mr. Tomcat had tried to go back to Earth himself because he was home for, sick for Miss Kitty. But it, when he went out the door of the gates of heaven, the path wasn't there. So Quackles found him, uh, hanging by his claws to the threshold, you know, and he was having quite a time and, uh, the Crackless saved him and, uh, so they were good friends again.
2: Well <laughs> the and you have a a rainbow path yes that's that, that was a beautiful rainbow path i mean every i think kids love rainbows, and it was like it was like a big slide that they could go down
3: yes yes that's uh that's how Quacklus and his friends get back to earth or well, actually miss tomcat Mr Tomcat and wise Owl, after they got through, but the Mrs. Scott, who followed him up there. Uh, he wasn't quite sure about her friendship, but she followed him and his friends up there, And but she decided to stay also. So well, I guess we're
2: going to find uh, out more about uh, about Mrs. Skunk maybe in number
3: six, right? Well, uh, no, Mrs. Skunk is sort of out of the picture. She stayed in heaven, and uh and uh, his friends fled down the rainbow path back down to earth finally.
2: Oh, so we'll just find out more what happens to yes. Crackless and his friends. Well, I loved all the new characters that were in here this time. And, of course, you know, raising chickens and roosters, I love seeing Mr. Rooster with his little his little pullets in his little hand, and what a beautiful drawing that was. But, you know, most of all, Jane, there are so many lessons in this story that I think are very important for children, and those were the, that perseverance and persistence. Because poor Quackless, he didn't think he could do it. His legs weren't very long. He didn't think he could go that far. But he kept at it, didn't he? He had yes. tenacity.
3: Yes, and, and the wise, wow, he was always having problems. You know, he wasn't used to walking. He always sat on a tree limb, you know. And...
2: Right. So
3: they were all they both had challenges and what
2: this showed me is that it doesn't matter what the challenges are, if we really want to get to our destination we can, but we have to keep going. We have yeah. to keep moving and we can't say I can't. We have to say I
3: can. Yeah, we have to be very persistent and uh keep our mind on track to what we are trying to accomplish.
2: And let our friends help us.
3: Yes. Yes, we need friends and uh, Quackless manages to have friends all along his adventures. And And, uh, well,
2: now Quackless has a voice more like a Muscovy duck. Yes. A little bit more, it's a duck Mm -hmm. sound now.
3: Yeah, it's a low hissy. Muscovy ducks are very very uh, nice ducks to have. Uh, they don't make much noise, and uh, I've talked to people who've had them, and they uh, are just real comical to watch.
2: Yes, yes. Well, I have a mallard and I have a muscovy, and they are oh, wonderful uh-huh.
3: ducks.
2: <laughs> so, see, I, I have a quackless.
3: Yeah. And well, they great. don't <laughs>
2: quack very much. They just kind of have a very low hiss. Uh
3: huh, yeah.
2: And the skunk, Mother skunk. I thought the skunk with her babies. Uh, following him was was interesting, and he was also um, Crocus was afraid of the otters. He was a little bit afraid, you know, because uh, he knew that the otters like fresh ducks.
3: Yes, yeah, he had to. He was swimming in the river, and uh, he had to get where he was going. He didn't know how, but he was on the lookout for the otter family, and uh, but he he missed them. Uh, they come by after he'd already. Him and his friends already had bedded down for the night in a tree lamb. And uh, Quackus is very, uh, very blessed, you know. He's he's a lucky duck.
2: <laughs> he's a lucky duck. Uh, but again, I, I, I believe that Quackus is lucky because he reaches out. He reaches out to people in the for I mean to animals in the forest and to other creatures that he meets along the way. And he seems to be a bit fearless, and he has learned to make friends. And he, and he works with these friends, whether it's the owl or whether it's the cat. You know, he decides that he's going to get where he's going. And does he go back to heaven at all, or we don't know if he's going to go back in another book? Uh,
3: no, it, the next one is number six, and... Uh... Quacklus uh, uh, finds the barnyard again in Number Six, which we'll have later, I suppose. But
2: yes, we will.
3: He um, he is very fortunate that he gets back to the barnyard and with uh, Wise Owl and uh, with uh, his little uh, tiny green frog uh, that had needed help because because Wise Owl was going to. Eat this green. Yeah, so, but, uh,
2: right, because didn't Wise Owl ate a lizard, a green lizard.
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: And he thought it wasn't very good because it was green, and Kraklis said, well, it was green. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Oh,
2: yes, just <laughs> meant it was the color green, whereas the owl just meant it wasn 't ripe yet. I think mm-hmm.
3: yeah, I think so too
2: <laughs> oh, it's just so charming, and your colors again in here you just your drawings and of everything it's so bright and and fun that that uh it's just very enticing and very enticing to look at, and again, the pictures on the cover where we have the skunk and the weisel owl and. Tomcat and of course, um, Quackless. Are these also photos from
3: your uh, from family friends or what Well, them? no, I uh found these on the internet and um I hope that uh, this works out for me because sometimes people don't want you to use their photos but I thought, well, uh, they, they're printable. I could print the ones that wasn't.
2: Absolutely. Well, you know what, Jane? If you ever need pictures of other animals, if you decide in your book that you want to write, like, a pot pig or mm-hmm. a goat or something, you, you email me and I'll send you pictures and you can use my pictures from my barnyard. Oh, great. Yes, because I have <laughs> geese and chickens and ducks. This is why I love the story of Quackless Duck because mm-hmm. you bring all these characters that I have. I. I take in all these abandoned animals and well, raise them. I mean. <laughs> now, I want, I want to just um, say, give out how people can get the book and the name again. Okay. It's Quackle Stuck, prays for a new voice, and walks to heaven to find one. We're talking once again to Jane Lowry Christian. She's been in our, on our show many times now. She's becoming a regular. She's just a wonderful children's author and, uh, and illustrator, but of course, we also know that she wrote a story a book called Bougie and Sissy's Adventure, which was about her childhood growing up in North Missouri, and that was a, such a charming charming story. Now, the book, is, you can get it by calling 888 no, 785 or you can Google Jane Lowry Christian, and it will come up so that you can, uh, you can get the book there. And we also have an audio book series at Reading Spell Success, if you go to StarStyleRadio.com and go to Reading Spell Success, you'll be able to hear these books and see the different books. And soon, well, as soon as book seven is finished, Jane will be having all your books available both um, in book form and the CD version, right? Yes, I'm I'm working toward that. Yes, it's going to be really fun to do that. Now, Jane, I wanted to ask you a personal question, if that's okay, because I never realized this until I read the dedication in your book this time, and I didn't know that you had had a stroke last year, and you you dedicated this book, "A Quackless Duck, Prays for a New Voice, and Walks to Heaven to Find One, to your wonderful husband. And uh, how how sweet this was, your dedication. And you said if it hadn't been for him, poor lonesome quackless <laughs> who was just lying in a corner of the closet waiting to be discovered.
3: Yes. Uh, I No, I actually couldn't have stayed here in my house if I hadn't had my husband to help me. You know, he made it possible.
2: And you're feeling better now.
3: Oh, yes. I'm doing well, but I'm still not totally. Well, but I'm it's working a on while it.
2: to recover some, from something like that. It's so serious.
3: Yes, yes, it could have been a lot worse, but I was fortunate.
2: well, you were very blessed. You had an angel walking over you, uh, watching over
3: you. There was a lot of people praying for me, yes, yeah, you I know, really I really, really
2: believe in that power of prayer.,
3: <clears throat> yes. do you
2: feel at all that because of knowing when I read this dedication, what came to me is I thought, I wonder if Jane's writing with her decks of any of this any of the things that you're writing about came to you because of the stroke that you had had? Do you, do you feel that any of the character developments that you've had or, or just, you know, having the angel in the book or going to heaven or any of that, do you think any of it came from the struggles that you had yourself
3: and having to be tenacious and get well? Well, you know, uh, nobody knows how the mind works, but uh, I believe in the power of prayer, and I do that every night, and uh, that I will have the words, and I have had. That I need. Well and
2: you know you shared with us of uh, the last time you were on that you literally sit down at the computer and you
3: don't know
2: what's going to come out and it just comes the story just comes
3: that is true i just sit down and start typing and and if i come to a snag i stop a while and uh maybe sleep on it and next day why it's okay
2: I always say that I have to sleep. I can't make a decision unless I sleep on it. Or if I'm really angry, I think, okay, I better just zip it, Cynthia. Wait till tomorrow. Get it. Get uh, go. Dream on it, and I'll have a new idea. Well, Jane, thank you again for being on the show. Let's give out the phone number. Uh, the author is Jane Lowry Christian. The book is Quackless Duck Praise for a new voice and walks to heaven to find one. This is book five in the Quackless Duck series. You can call uh, toll free 888-785-4274 oh, and is, ask for let's Go Quackless Duck series is, or is. Jane Lowry Christian just google her name. You'll find quite a bit coming up. Jay, is, did you want is, to say something? That is the
3: wrong ad. That is the wrong telephone number. It is? Uh, yes. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Give it I'm sorry. I thought <laughs> I had the right one. Give me the right one. Okay, 888 795
0: 4274
3: Okay, say that again? Uh it's 1888795 4274.
2: 4274. Well, thank you for correcting me. Okay. I'm sorry to have given out the wrong number. This is the one that we had. So, in any case, 888 795 4274, Jane Lowry Christian. We'll be talking again soon, Jane, and we'll be looking forward to book six in the Quackless Duck series.
3: Well, thank you very much.
2: Thank you so much. You're listening to Cynthia Bryan on Star Style Be the Star You Are, bestselling author. Rollin explores human overpopulation, diminishing food supply, and genetic modified crops. When we return from break, I'm Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. Stay close. The Doomsday Key is coming. I'll be back in a minute.
1: Everyone counts. That web address again is www.be the Be the starur.org. Are you living your dreams? Brian is your guide on the side. www.cynthiabrian.com. You can be the star you are. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to listen and talk. That's one 613 1612 Or send an email to info at org. Now back to star style, be the star you are, with the Oprah of the airwaves, Cynthia Bryan. Be the star you are.
2: Well, you are listening to Cynthia Bryan on Star Style, Be The Star You Are, where every week we bring you the best-selling authors who entertain you, expand your horizons, inspire, and motivate us all. It's brought to the airwaves as a literacy outreach program, of Be The Star You Are charity broadcasting live since 1998. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, Henry Kissinger said that control oil and you control nations, but control food, and you control all the people of the world. Well, best-selling author James Rowland's newest thriller, The Doomsday Key, is based on the fact that we're headed to a diminishing food supply. We're probably already there. We're going to be overpopulated, and genetically modified agricultural practices could doom us all. Welcome, Jane, to Star Style, Be the Star You Are.
4: Thank you for having me on your program. I appreciate it. Oh, James,
2: thank you so much. My gosh, have you penned yet another page-turner in the Sigma Force series that you are doing? I was looking at your schedule of appearances. You are just rocking it. You must be, you're just going from place to place. You must be exhausted already.
4: It does feel like a city a day.
2: It's a city a day. How are you keeping up with that?
4: Uh, I just make sure I drink a lot of water and get what sleep I can.
2: I guess. I guess that's all. Well, congratulations to you. I was really fascinated by all the historical data and the artifacts that you interwove with this story. I mean, of corporate greed and the genetically modified foods and controlling the world, I wanted you to talk about the process that you go through when you develop a story, because from what I have read about you is you have kind of a scientific background and you have a doctorate in veterinary medicine? That's right. Yeah. So... My gosh, why aren't you writing about animals?
4: Oh, I always get that question asked by my I clients.
2: I bet. You know, I'm a big animal person. I was just interviewing a, a book on animals, and I adopt animals. I take in abandoned animals. So I love to When hear I thought, that. saw you were a veterinarian, I thought, this is interesting, because I'm a history major. You're writing a lot about history.
4: Exactly. I mean, the. When I was, I, I got asked that a lot, is why aren't you writing about a veterinarian? Why aren't you writing something like All Creatures, Great and Small? No, it
2: doesn't feel like that's you,
4: though. No, no, because you know, my answer was not enough people die in those James harry what? novels. <laughs> you know, I was working 14, 16, 18 hours as a vet. I didn't really want to go home and write about a vet. I wanted to go on these fantastic adventures. And, you know, one of my passions also growing up was, you know, I was that weird little kid in third grade instead of, you know, out playing baseball or tag. I was out in the... Uh, the gravel pits of the driveway, looking for fossils. You know, I always sort of uh, picture myself as sort of an armchair archaeologist. So you know, I had a real fascination with history, also. And so I sort of combined the two in my books. So you asked me about my process, and you know, I'm always looking for basically a you know a historical mystery, a piece of history that ends in a question mark, and then I try to team that up with a bit of science that makes me go "What if?" And then I, I just see if I can't find some way to connect those two together.
2: Well this one was for me this one was so fascinating because as a gardener I, I'm very concerned about the bees, you know, because they haven't been pollinating and you start when I opened your book and you started with that, that the paragraph about between two thousand six and two thousand eight That one third of all the honeybees in the U.S. and a lot of Europe and Canada had vanished. It was like, ooh, this is really, this is really interesting. Then you went into talking about all this historical information about England and Ireland going back to the Druids and the Celts and interweaving the Egyptians. But I had never read about the Doomsday, uh, the Doomsday book. Oh, actually, I guess it was the Domesday, right?
4: Exactly, that was a... Uh, and then, okay. yeah,
2: they began to talk about, it. they called it the doomsday. What was this about wasted? Because i got to tell you, when you found those people in the bogs that had been preserved and they had mushrooms growing inside of them, I was so grossed out. It was like, oh, my God, I could actually be eating something and grow mushrooms inside. Yuck.
4: Exactly. I mean, I'm always, you know, just playing with those fun things. Like, Is the- that possible, by the way? Pardon me. Is that part possible? Yes, it is. Actually, it's it's based upon a real organism. Really. Uh, I just uh, I maybe extrapolated it just a little bit more extreme for the book, but it's uh I always try to base my uh, the wild conjectures in my novels with a little bit of fact. In a matter of fact, that's one of the reasons why at the end of all my books, I sort of do lay out what's true and what's not. So, if well,
2: there's... and you know, I, this is something I should say. First of all, we're talking to James Rollins. He is the New York Times bestselling author of many books. But today, we're talking about the Doomsday Key, which is just a wonderful, wonderful read. But I really like this, which you put at the back, where uh, was it, truth or fiction? And. Almost everything in your book is is really truth. It's just that you take it a little bit further and kind of add that extra element of surprise to it, or maybe you know you answer a question that we're all asking.
4: Yeah, I love to. it's what I call. I just I love to speculate to just uh, to to take those things and play with them a little bit, see what else I might come up with. You know, I got I I love you know I I got a quote recently for the Doomsday Key uh, from a reviewer. It said, "This guy." doesn't write novels, he builds roller coasters.
2: Ooh, that's
4: fabulous. You know, my main goal is to entertain, but to yes. me, I think a book works well. If it, after you close, you know, turn that last page, close the book, you're left with something to think about. Because one of the greatest compliments I get as a writer is if somebody says, you know, I really liked your book, but that part of the story really intrigued me. I read what was the back of your uh, novel. I followed up uh, doing some research on that on my, on my own. To me, that means that the book really worked. It had that impact I really wanted it to have so that when you close that cover, you know, you're left with a little bit of something to think about.
2: Well, you know, the, again, and also I wanted to comment on your characters, who are extremely interesting characters. And the organizations that you talk about, like you say here the Club of Rome is actually a real club. It's frightening to think that there are corporations out there that are that probably are doing exactly what was, is being done in your book. And you, you also said the seed place is for real, too. That frightens me.
4: Yeah, I mean, the Doomsday Vault, which is the seed uh, uh, vault that you're referring to, is was opened in Norway in the year 2008. They built it out of this vault underneath a mountain above the Arctic Circle, basically just in, you know, anticipating that uh, there might be a global calamity, whether man-made or natural, that wipes out our ecosystem, and the only way to rebuild it is to have a vault of seeds in which to repopulate the world. Um that's always scary. It makes me just as a thriller writer wonder, what do those Norwegians know that we don't know?
2: Yeah, I mean, it is very scary. And to have this very wealthy CEO in your character, of Ivor Carlson, you know, you feel like he is really evil, but you, on the other hand, you know that he was trying to do something possibly that was going to save some people, but my gosh, he was killing so many other people, it was like, what kind of decisions was he making? But the fact that it's actually, po- that you had this seed place, it's protected by polar bears. That was very interesting.
4: Exactly. When I learned that fact, I figured I had to put that in a book.
2: Oh, that was the greatest. I'd never read anything like that. It was, you know, to have an attack by polar bears. That was pretty fascinating. Now, you know, what about that,
4: these That harkens back to my, my veterinary career. You know, there's, there's, there's always uh, animals that populate my novels. Uh, that 's a you know, portion of me I wanted to be a, a a veterinarian since I was a young kid, and so even though i, I now write full time and only do a little bit of volunteer work with my veterinary degree, uh, you know that passion still exists, and so those animals do creep into my writing
2: oh but how exciting to have a polar bear and then to have your uh, character Kowalski, who was such a comic relief, I thought you know in the throughout the whole book um, like little teddy bears. It just didn't quite asked, but, seem like you know, with, this with big, burly guy would be a teddy bear kind of a guy.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Very good juxtaposition. Now, when you were studying this, because uh, this whole idea of the Black Madonna, you know, this has been going around for years and years, and then you you take it back to Egypt, and um, did did you come up with this idea? Did you know that, you know, like Tutankhamun's? Relics are going around. I mean, where did that idea come from of intertwining that?
4: Well, the the history of the of the Black Madonna. Um, there's a, there are, what I I explain in the in the novel is factual. Uh, that they they do believe that the iconic image of a of a, a dark skinned Madonna traces back to uh, a more pagan roots, uh, possibly even back to Egyptian mythology. Um, and and I love that about the way you know religion and mythology changes over time where one religion or, or society sort of uh
2: adopts it and merges. It's like they merge together actually. James? Oh, I, I didn't I know. You. I was—I thought I lost you there for a second. Can you hear me all right?
4: I can. Yeah, I think. Okay, they I mean,
2: it's like that. I found that it's—it's it's as if the religion and the mythology have merged a lot. I mean, you talk a lot about the crosses in here, and then the pagan, the pagan um, symbols and the Christian symbols, and how they would even Christians would build on top of pagan sites.
4: Exactly. I mean, they always seem to, and this is not just. A, unique to the Catholic faith. It's it's been going on throughout history. When uh, one dominant culture uh, supersedes a a subordinate culture, a lot of times they will take the imagery of that subordinate culture and sort of fold it into their own. The Romans did it, Uh, you know, the Spanish as they moved into South America did it. It's sort of an ongoing process of, of trying to merge the new and the old.
2: Do you travel quite a bit besides traveling on your book tours? Do you travel to a lot of these sites? Because I was very interested, You know, I've all, I'm sure as many people are, the whole idea of Camelot and Avalon and all of that. But I never had been to this island before, and I think that i really got to go there now.
4: Um, you should. It's beautiful, and I do love to travel. And a lot of my uh, travels end up in my books. But I seldom actually travel... Purely for research, I don't say, well, I'm going to set a book in Paris. So I'm going to fly out to France, run around Paris, and come back and write about it. I have a tendency just to love to travel, and I, I take a bunch of pictures. I journal when I travel. I talk to people and try to get sort of uh, little tidbits from them, little pieces of stories and histories that might be unique to that, to that area. And then I just, I just bind them all up into a binder, and I put them on my shelf. And whenever my characters happen to uh, roll past one of those sites, I pull it out, and uh, I'm ready to go.
2: The peat's burning, uh, you know, the, the bogs in England and Ireland, you have this incredible scene where, like, the whole forest is on fire from underneath, and it's falling into itself because of the, the peat burning. And I know when I was in Ireland, they still they burn peat as their fuel, but I never realized it could be so deep.
4: Oh, yeah, there's, there's been peat fires that have been uh, burning for centuries and they're they basically fires that travel underneath the ground. Oftentimes when there is snow on the surface, there's fire below. And I learned that. I just just love that imagery of, you know, running across a snowy landscape while beneath your feet is this raging inferno. I I
2: loved it, too. Now, is your book, is this one going to be made into a movie by any chance? This would make a super movie.
4: (laughs) Well, actually, most of my books have been optioned by Hollywood over the years. Uh, nothing's ever gone forward to a, a full greenlit project, so basically a lot of nibbling, but not, no full bites yet.
2: So we're gonna we'll have to just wait and see. Maybe this one will be the one.
4: That's uh, I would I would enjoy that.
2: Yeah, wouldn't that be fun? It I would, think it would, would be love, so fun. I well, that. I want people to go to your website, too. Let me just give out that, and then we'll go back to the book. It's com, And what a great website this is. You you'll can see a video with him there, look at all his books, find out what he's doing. It's just it's a very action-packed website. The name of the book we're talking about today is The Doomsday Key, and our author is James Rollins, R O L L I N S. probably don't need to spell it, you all know already did you have um, a favorite part of writing this book or a favorite character i really like that you had such strong female characters whether they were evil or good they were really strong
4: yeah i I love having a lot of the adventure fiction especially sort of these uh action adventure types of fiction always the women seem to play these sort of uh Subordinate characters, are they there? the damsel in distress.
2: Right, you don't have that at
4: all. No, no, I, I wanted, you know, you know, full-blooded women in my stories. I think it just works so much better, both from a romantic standpoint, but also just in regards to, you know, making the, the story come more alive. Um, you know, probably one of my favorite characters is one of the female characters that appears in this book, and she has appeared in, in previous installments of the Sigma 4 series, and that's Shan. She's a woman that has mixed loyalties. You don't quite know whether she's on your side or whether she's not. And she's very, a very conflicted character, and I just really enjoy writing her.
2: You know, she was I, the entire book, I had no clue where, what she, if she was good or bad. I kept going back and forth. Oh, she doesn't seem so bad. Oh, gosh, she's evil. Let her fall into the bog. You know, let her. Don't, don't help her. You know, I was like, I was. Sometimes I'd be rooting for her. Sometimes I wouldn't. And then you know, she definitely has a past that we don't see. We just see glimpses in this
4: book. Exactly. I like. I'm basically building her over the course of the series. Uh, she's going to play in a very important role in the next couple of books, as you, I think you can probably well imagine. And. uh... So, yeah, I just love writing her.
2: Yes, yeah, she's very, very fascinating. Now, the, your character of Krista, I was, I mean, I'm not going to say I want people to read it, so I won't say what happens, but I was really surprised at when we first meet her because I, I just didn't expect that
4: right away. Well, myself, my, you know, that's one of my, my joys of writing is to surprise people. You know, I, I grew up with three brothers and three sisters, and I was sort of the storyteller of the family, what my mom called the liar of the family.
2: Uh-huh.
4: And you know, it was never a good day unless I can make one of my brothers or sisters cry. <laughs>
2: well and, and i'm sure that now style. today are they uh, are you still making them cry or they are now they're smiling and happy
4: oh they're very they're my biggest cheerleaders
2: isn't that the best it's so great having a big family and have them be your cheerleaders and your support team well this is just a terrific book i i loved the way that you have woven together you know the history the the archaeology the the characters and this whole idea that our world is getting overpopulated and this fact of genetically modified food. That scares me. As a gardener, that really scares me, and that it, it can it be driven be. through pollen and that our food could actually contaminate us. That's, that's a horror. So we really, I, I think one of the things that you did in this book is make us aware that we need to be more aware and more on top of, of what's going on.
4: Yeah, I thought I was pretty well informed about this whole thing about genetically modified crops until I started doing research for this novel, and I, I really was surprised uh, what's going on in the industry. Um, for example, uh, out of the 40 or so crops that were approved to be grown in the U.S. this past year, only eight have published safety studies. You Isn't know, that
2: scary? That's really scary because we think that, you know, if our government says it's okay, it's okay. I think we've got to take another look. Well, go out, buy this book. It's exactly what the reviewer said about James Rowland that he doesn't write novels, he does build roller coasters, and this one will give you the ride of your life. It's called The Doomsday Key. James Rowland, go to Jamesrollins.com. James, thanks so much. Come back with your next book. I want to follow your characters.
4: Oh, I would love to. Anytime. Thank
2: you, and good luck on your book tour. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Cynthia Bryan on Star Style, Be the Star You Are. I hope you had a really fun day with us today with our authors, Julia Quinn, James Rowland, and Jane Lowry Christian. Until we celebrate next week, you make it a great one. Go to org or Star-Style.com. We'll be together next week. Be the Star You Are. I'm Cynthia Bryan.
1: Thanks again for listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. For more information about Be the Star You Are Nonprofit Corporation, please visit BeTheStarUR.org. That's org. Join Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany again next Thursday at